0: 14 we'll just read four verses beginning with verse 15 if you love me keep my commandments and i will pray the father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Um, What I'm about to say will make anyone who's ever taken any kind of online class, say amen. Um, I'm thankful that we live in the age in which there is a button when you can speed up the speaker 1.5 times. (laughs) Say amen. (laughs) Because sometimes uh, there are things that are worth listening to slowly and absorbing it, and sometimes we can go a little faster. (laughs) And um, the first 12 chapters of John's gospel, it feels like we've been going at not just 1.5 times, but two times or three times because we've been seeing miracle, teaching, miracle, teaching, miracle, teaching, confrontation. It's one thing right after the other, and we fly through these first three years of Jesus's ministry. But now that we've reached the upper room, it's, we're not just running at regular speed, we're going slow motion. There's a lot to unpack here. And to be quite honest, my nature is to go a little faster, but in studying there are just some things that we can't just skim over. You've seen in your bulletin, I'm sure our subject this morning, is that of the promised Holy Spirit. You prepare to stand up before people and tell them who the Holy Spirit is. See how that goes. (laughs) And I've found that I have... A hard time being able to put these truths into words. Some people do it well. Sometimes I think I do it well. But this week I don't feel like I've done it very well. (laughs) And I need the Holy Spirit's help in order to teach you who the Holy Spirit is. But here we are, John chapter 14. We're on the last night that Jesus has with his disciples before his crucifixion. And the predominant feeling in the room is fear. Jesus has told the disciples that he's leaving, and quite frankly, they just don't like the sound of that. They've been with him for three years around the clock, they've heard him teach, they've seen his miracles, they've seen how he's handled confrontation. He's been available to them, and now he's leaving. So Jesus, as we've seen the last few weeks, begins to comfort them by giving them promises. And he began to give that first promise at the beginning of the chapter with these words, Let not your hearts be troubled. They are troubled. So he gives them reasons not to be. He promises, I go to prepare a place for you. Well, that doesn't sound too great, but the promise is, if I go and prepare a place for you, then I will, what? Come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. That's a comforting promise. And he goes on, as we've seen, to teach them that he is the only way to that place. That he is one with the Father. That every work that he has done has been done to reveal the Father To the world. So then he makes those two other promises we considered last week. He promised that everyone who believes in him will do even greater works than he has done. Not greater in kind, but greater in extent. Jesus worked, he made the Father known for three years. He primarily taught only 12 men, he rarely had an audience that wasn't Jewish. But now, he's promised his followers, you will do greater works than these. That is, whereas Jesus only had about 500 people who saw him post-resurrection and believed in him. The church has for 2,000 years seen millions come to know him. And they haven't even seen him. 3,000 were converted in a single day after Peter preached his first sermon. And the work has been going on ever since. And he didn't just promise his followers that they would do great works, but he went on to say, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. That's a promise. <laughs> and we established last week what it means to pray in Jesus' name. We won't rehearse all that today. But he makes these promises so that the disciples will understand that his physical absence does not mean that he will not be with them or that they will not have his help. And the wonderful truth for us is that these promises aren't only for the 11 disciples who were in the room with Jesus on that night, but these promises, according to verse 12, are for whoever believes in him. And he describes further who those who believe in him are. And that's where we pick up today in verse 15. He says, if you love me, Keep my commandments. Some of you have a better translation than that in your Bibles. The word translated keep is actually a future tense verb in Greek. And it means that it's not really a a command. If you love me, then go keep my commandments. But rather, it's a statement. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's supported what he says in verse 21 and in verse 23. He says down in verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. We'll spend more time on this when we get to those verses. So let me just say this for now. The two defining characteristics of a person who truly knows Christ, the person who has been born again, is love and obedience. If you believe in the Lord Jesus, if you have been born again, your life will be characterized by love for Christ and by obedience to his word. If those are the character traits of your life as a Christian, if you've been born again, these are your promises. In chapter 17, we'll see that Jesus prayed that these things would be brought to fruition not only in the lives of the disciples, but for all who would believe in him through their word. If you love and follow Jesus as a child of God, then you have the promise that he is preparing a place for you. He will return for you. You will do great works through his power. He will answer any prayer that you pray in his name. And then where we come today. The remainder of chapter 14, Jesus promises to give us the Holy Spirit. The verses we've read this morning specifically promise the gift of the Holy Spirit himself. And so as we move through this passage, I'll give you three headings. They aren't beautiful, but they're they're in the text. Number one, he is a helper. Two, he is... Another helper. And three, he is the spirit of truth. Number one, he is a helper. God's word says, and I will pray the father and he will give you another helper. Some of your Bibles say comforter or advocate. I do want to consider each of these as they relate to the nature of the Holy Spirit. The Greek word is parakletos. Para meaning alongside, and kale'a meaning to call. So the word that John uses literally means that this one whom Jesus has promised will come is one who is called alongside to help. That's who the Holy Spirit is. That's why the New King James and other translations call him a helper. Jesus says, I'm leaving you. I'm going back to my father, but I will ask the father and he will give you one who will come alongside you to help you. But that seems a little broad, doesn't it? How does the Holy Spirit help us? In what ways will the Spirit help us when he comes alongside us? The King James uses that word, comforter. The meanings of words, tend to change over time you know that so when we hear that the holy spirit will be our comforter we think of someone who's going to come alongside us to give us peace to pat us on the back to dry our tears to tell us that everything's going to be okay and the holy spirit does do that he does comfort us when the battle's been hard But when the King James translators chose that word, that wasn't exactly what they had in mind. This was 400 years ago, you see. The idea of the Holy Spirit being a comforter meant that He would come to give strength. Yes, the Holy Spirit comforts us and consoles us when we are beaten down. Certainly the disciples would have needed that since they were about to go out to preach and to face persecution. But the Holy Spirit wasn't just given to make us feel better when the day's been long, when the battle's been hard. But He was given to come alongside us to give us strength right in the middle of the fight. Yes, He'll give you comfort at the end of the day. But He will come to you at the beginning of the day and throughout the day to give you strength. To give you the power and the courage and the boldness to stand firm, to serve, to preach, to pray, and to remain faithful. He is our comforter. And then you have the word advocate. See, in Jesus' day, the helper, or some of you may have heard the word the paraclete, not a bird, but paraclete with an L was usually a a person who came alongside you to help plead your case in a legal matter. What we would call an attorney. He was an advocate. And the Holy Spirit acts as our advocate. He speaks on our behalf to God. We read part of Romans 8 this morning, and I love what that chapter has to say about this. In Romans 8, Paul writes about the hope that we have in our sufferings. As Christians, we know that glory is coming, right? We know that redemption is coming. We await that day when Christ will come and set up his kingdom and all will be set right. But in the meantime, we groan with the rest of creation over the bondage of corruption that is here now. Yes, glory is coming. Yes, redemption is coming. But sometimes we get so bogged down, so discouraged with all the sickness and death and corruption and disease and disappointments that sometimes we don't even feel like we know what to pray. And that's when the Holy Spirit, our advocate, steps in. Paul said there in Romans 8 and verse 26, he said, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. I'm sure you, like me, have had those times when you pray, and after you pray, you step back and think, man, I blew that one. There's no way God heard that prayer. That was selfish. It was repetitive. I didn't ask for anything spiritual. You know, the preacher says I'm supposed to pray in accordance with the will of Jesus. That was nothing close to the will of Jesus. That prayer, as they say, didn't make it past the ceiling. We've all felt that way. Did you know that when you feel that way and you pray those prayers that you think there's no way God heard that that all along the Holy Spirit's cleaning that prayer up on the way. And in fact, he's praying on your behalf. God, I know he said this. Father, I know he said this, but this is really what he meant and this is what he really needs and you've got an advocate. You've got somebody that makes sure that your prayers get answered and that get and get heard. Isn't that encouraging? He's your advocate. Galatians 4, 6 says, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his sons into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. It's because of the Holy Spirit. That's the only reason that we know that God hears our prayers. It's the only reason we can be assured that he hears us as his children at all. is because we have the spirit as our advocate. He's our personal, direct line to God. There's never a communication failure. We pray to the Father. We pray in the name of Jesus. But we're only able to do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's been called on to come alongside you to help you. He is your comforter. He is your advocate. He is your helper. And number two, he is another helper. If we just do one word at a time, this is going to take forever. I promise we pick up the pace. And now if the Holy Spirit is another helper, then that implies that there's at least one other helper, right? (laughs) And who would that be? Who could be that other helper? Who would be the other or the first paraclete? 1 John 2 1 says, My little children, these things I write to you that you may not sin. And if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, a paracletos, a helper, a comforter, a paraclete, an advocate with the Father. And who is that? Jesus Christ the righteous. This really got to me when I read this this week. You think it's nice having a paraclete? You have two. (laughs) You think it's nice having a divine helper, a comforter to strengthen you in the heat of battle, an advocate to represent you and plead your case before the Father in heaven? Guess what? You have two. Jesus is our advocate who is with the Father. The Holy Spirit is our advocate who is with us. The disciples are concerned because Jesus is leaving. Jesus wants them to understand that this is way better. Jesus is going to the Father to make intercession for those who believe in Him. When Satan comes along to accuse us before God, Jesus, our advocate, stands in our place and defends us on the basis of the free gift of salvation that He purchased with His blood. And when when we pray to God, when we come with imperfect words or without words at all, we have another advocate, another helper, the Holy Spirit who also stands in our place. We've got connections on both sides. We don't just have our foot in the door. We know people. Before we go any further, we've got to ask some questions here. Knowing that we have the Holy Spirit interceding for us on this end, and knowing that we have Jesus interceding for us on that end. And knowing that we have both because of the eternal plan of the Father to love us. Why are we so hesitant to talk to Him? Why would we not pray to the God who has gone to such great lengths to make Himself accessible to us? We just saw last week that he's promised to do great works through us. He's promised that if we ask anything in the name of Jesus that he will do it. He's promised that there's a better eternal home after this life. Why would we not step out in faith to simply be obedient to do what he's called his church to do? Why would we not serve our community? Why would we not reach beyond these walls with the gospel, the message of Jesus? Why would we not make disciples? Why would we not pray for revival and awakening in our own area? Why would we not ask him to do things through us that would be impossible without his help? And what's true for the church is also true for the individual Christians who make up the church. Why would you not serve wherever God's placed you? Why would you not share the gospel with that person that God's placed in your life? Why would you not disciple that younger Christian that you know? Why would you not pray for God to do a work in your home and in your church and in your community? God the Father has orchestrated all of human history to bring you into fellowship with him. Jesus, God the Son, has died in your place to make payment for your sin with His own blood. He's forgiven you. He's removed your guilt. He now intercedes in your behalf in heaven. God the Holy Spirit indwells you, helps you, comforts you, strengthens you, prays for you. God is on your side. If you're a true Christian... If your life is characterized by a love for and an obedience to Christ, you are on the same side as God Almighty. He loves you. He cares for you. Live like it. Pray like it. This shouldn't be facts that you can file away in your brain and go home and forget about it. This should change you. You have an advocate with the Father in heaven. You have an advocate with the Father who indwells you if you are His. He loves you. He cares for you. He brought you to Himself. Why wouldn't you love Him and obey Him? Before we go on to the final section here, I just want to be clear on one more thing regarding the Holy Spirit as another helper. See, there are two words for another in the biblical language. The word heteros means another of a different kind. The word alas means another of the same kind. John 14, 16 uses alas, another of the same kind. Now, I want to make sure you understand that the Holy Spirit is not a thing. <laughs> He's not some cosmic force. The Holy Spirit is a person, namely the third person in the Trinity. In other words, the Holy Spirit is God. Now, just go ahead and accept the fact that you'll never fully understand the fullness and greatness of the Godhead. That's why we sing, How Great Thou Art. Because we can't comprehend that greatness. If your puny human mind could grasp him, he wouldn't be very much of a God. But the Holy Spirit is of the same substance, the same essence as the Father and the Son. Father, Son, and Spirit are distinct persons who perform distinct functions, but they are each fully divine. They exist co-equally as one God. Three persons, one God. Everything that the Father was is embodied, everything that the Father is was embodied in the Lord Jesus as he walked on the earth. And everything that Jesus was to his disciples, the Holy Spirit is to each one of you whom he indwells. He is another helper. And then number three, he is the spirit of truth. We won't spend as much time here as we did on the first two. Verse 17 says the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth in a couple of ways. Number one, he bears witness to the one who is the truth. You remember verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life no one comes to the father except through me being one with christ the holy spirit bears witness to christ and to his message it's only because of the work of the holy spirit that we're christians at all it's the work of the spirit that causes us even to believe the gospel Jesus did the saving work in his death, but when we heard the gospel message, it was the Holy Spirit who quickened us, who made us alive. It's the Spirit who brings dead souls to life, who makes blind eyes to see, deaf ears to hear, minds to comprehend, hearts to receive the truth of the message of Jesus. It's the Spirit who regenerates us and makes us new creations. It's the Spirit who gives us the faith to believe the gospel. Number two, He's the Spirit of truth in the way He enlightens the believer about God's Word. Jesus will tell the disciples when we get to verse 26 that the Holy Spirit will bring back to their minds all the things that He taught them. That's how they wrote these gospel records. That's how they went on and preached what Jesus said decades after He was gone. The Spirit brought it back to their minds, but that work of the Spirit continues today in the way He enlightens believers who study what they wrote. The same Spirit who inspired and superintended the writing of Scripture dwells in you and will help you to understand it when you study it. If you study the Bible without the help of the Holy Spirit, you're going to have a tough time. much less be able to live by it and obey it. But if you come to the Word of God dependent on the Spirit who oversaw its writing, and you depend on the Spirit not just for help in understanding it, but by being changed by it, He will give you that help. That's why Jesus says the world cannot receive Him. They don't see him, they don't know him, because they have rejected the truth. You can't receive or see or understand the spirit of truth if you reject the truth. They've rejected the good news about Jesus. They've rejected him as the way, the truth, and the life. They want to come to God another way, and there is no other way. So they don't know the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, but you know him. How? For he dwells with you and will be in you. Friends, if you've been born again, if you've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, the very Spirit of God dwells in you. See, for the disciples, he said he is with you and will be in you. Well, now we skip the whole with you part and just go straight to in you. (laughs) Read the book of Acts. No wonder Jesus used this to comfort the disciples. He said in verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus, you can't leave us. Where are you going? What are, what are, you, what are we supposed to do? We've been with you and you say you're leaving. And Jesus says, How about this? I'll just come live inside you. And he does. In his physical body, Jesus left. He ascended into heaven after his death and resurrection. But then came the Holy Spirit. Not just God with us, but God in us. What a promise. This is the promise of the Holy Spirit. He is your helper, your comforter, your advocate. He's one with God. He is God. And he dwells in you. If you've not been born again, then you don't have this promise. You're on your own. You can't know God because you've rejected the truth of God. You're dead in your sins and helpless. If you remain in your current state, you will one day die and stand before God and be judged. But you will have no advocate. You will stand alone and face the penalty for your crimes. All your sins against God. But God loves you. Jesus died for you. He took the punishment that you deserve so that you could be forgiven and saved from judgment. If you will simply repent of your sins, place your faith, your trust, your hope alone in Jesus Christ. He will save you. He'll forgive your sins, grant you everlasting life, and his Holy Spirit will indwell you. He will be in you. God will literally be with you forever. And for the rest of your life on earth, the spirit within you will be cultivating more and more a love for Jesus Christ and a life of obedience to him. He will give you all these things if you will simply believe. This is the promise of the Holy Spirit. And there's so much more to say. So come back next week. Stand with me as we pray. Lord, we thank you for the truth of your word. And the spirit of truth that opens our eyes to see it. Lord, you have not left us alone. You have not left us without a helper. But we have the one who has come alongside us to give us strength in the battle. To comfort us. To be our advocate. And to reveal your truth to us through your word. And Lord, if one here doesn't know you, who does not have the blessing of this promised Holy Spirit. I pray that they would repent and believe the gospel today and put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus name. Amen.